カハンニャハラミタシンギョウ Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. This morning we had the opportunity to celebrate the Buddha's birth as a Sangha. Supposedly, the Buddha was a person who lived a long time ago. But is that really what we're celebrating? On one level, it is amazing to celebrate these teachings that actually are so nurturing to so many of us. And to take a moment to say, yay, teachings. <laughs> How incredible. Let's celebrate these teachings. And so amazing to just see to me about how we can be a community to celebrate. Sason and Bill, and Bill mostly apparently, building the Buddha's house here. Where is Bill? <laughs> <laughs> So Bill was able to build the Buddha's house for all of us to enjoy. And Sason decorating it with flowers. So beautiful. And each person participating in their unique way. And to me, one of the joyful parts of our community is the beautiful, amazing intention and our lack of interest in perfection. <laughs> Because the perfection can be so harmful of being right, correct. And we, in our kind of our funky, imperfect way, inviting all of our Dear Zumdo, people reading your name, so I'm bathing the Buddha so that we all are here in the one dough, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually where we are. And to me, as we are bathing the baby Buddha in sweet matcha tea, 
and just seeing this statue and you know the statue that we have of the baby was wood and there was concern about it getting stained and it's like yeah it will <laughs> that's okay everything will become stained weathered by life as far as I know. But there's something so exquisite about taking this time in our life to actually bathe our awakening with so much intentionality. And not just the intentionality, but to actually do it. How do you put the effort into how you care for your awakening mind? Through your actions. So to me, this ceremony is such a beautiful ceremony because it's really all about how are you actually, how do your actions actually meet your values and ethics? Are you actually bathing and decorating and celebrating in a day-to-day -day way. You're awakening, which is, of course, in our schools, not an arrival process. very auspicious in many ways that today is also the 89th day of our practice period. One day more. And sometimes people feel like, well, then I guess then I'm free. <laughs> Don't have to really practice anymore. Only six months of the year because we have two practice periods a year, just as they have for the last 25, 2,600 years. But to me, they were entering this very interesting liminal time between practice periods where it really is a wonderful opportunity to, how are you going to bathe the baby Buddha each day in your life. The text from today, from the practice period, says everything encountered is life. Uchiyama Roshi says, to devote ourselves to everything so in case you're looking for practice instruction, devote yourself to everything. To me, it's like the Midori itself. Devote ourselves to everything we encounter and throw our life force into doing just that is quite different from simply exhausting our energies playing with toys. 
it's so interesting to like really reflect on without, you know, many of us have a hard time doing that with a playful spirit or even a compassionate or loving awareness of really doing some accounting over like how you spend time. Some of us will look at how we spend time and like, eh, see, I, I suck, I suck. I'm bad. What about the Uchiyama's language? It's like, just notice when you're playing with toys. Which, of course, is just all your habits. It's too hard. That's the most popular one. I can't. But it's so interesting how he talks about that, that we're simply exhausting our energies playing with toys. That's definitely been my experience. Like when I'm just like playing out my habitual way, it's exhausting. And he's saying what's also possible is to devote yourself to everything you encounter and throw yourself into it. He says, when we do that, here is where our passion for life as joyful mind manifests. Not too shabby. When we give it, at least that's my experience too, when I just completely surrender to what actually just giving myself to what's most important. For me, there is so much more energy. And it does make me feel this passion for life. So to me, it's about how do you really trust your experience more than your ideas and your habits. I love, you know, every year around this time I look up, you know, the facts of the Buddha's life, which of course are spotty. And I love that some people try to find his actual birthday because many people are very tied to that it was an actual person. From at least my Zen perspective, it doesn't even matter. Something definitely very interesting happened. And there were a group of very dedicated people. Sometimes I think of the Buddha as an amalgamation of community. <clears throat> the date of his birth is always under dispute. <laughs> Supposedly, he was a son of a king and born in Kapuilavatsu in the Himalayas, actually on the border of Nepal, in Nepal on the border of India, and was born the name Siddhartha 
meaning one who has found meaning. It's an auspicious name. Later, he became known as Shakyamuni, which means the sage of the Shakyamuni, which is also a traditional part of the path is that you change your name. In the legends, which are, there are many, of his conception and birth are plentiful. His mother, Queen Maya, most of the accounts say that she dreamed of a white elephant entering her side. And that was interpreted by the holy men of her court as a sign that she would give birth to a great king or a great spiritual leader. And she gave birth to him while she was standing while grasping a tree on the roadside. What would that be like? And the Buddha, was, as we see in this little statue, was born fully developed, as most, <laughs> as most babies are. <laughs> this is why, like, exactly what the Buddha said or did is always like, hmm. perhaps. <laughs> And it is said that he took, he just was born under this tree with his mom and, you know, took a few steps and then pointed to the heavens and pointed to the earth, which is the image here, and said that I alone am the world honored one, as many babies do. It's <laughs> <laughs> a common experience of walking right after birth. But what is that? Like, what is that about? I alone. Sounds a little self-referential. How often are we aware of this and this? How often are you aware of what's above and below? How often are you aware of what your true experience of who you are is? shared this, but like, you know, we discovered as if like it wasn't there before that there was a, there's a star, the farthest star. We just discovered it. You know, I'm sure it was doing fine before we discovered it. 
our hubris, that that kind of I, right, is not what the Buddha's talking about. I discovered this star. And it took it 25 mil, billion years for the light to reach the Earth. Think of that little light beam. Traveling through space for 25 billion years. And then our, our own hubris would be like, we discovered it. <laughs> Look, we discovered this star. <laughs> so to me, this eye that the Buddha is talking about is more like the light itself. His awareness, or the awareness, that the eye is like that light, without any truly conceivable beginning or end. I and all beings simultaneously achieve the way is another interpretation of what he said. I and all beings simultaneously achieve the way. But we cannot do this alone. There have been many babies that I've heard who have said that, the same thing. Meh. <laughs> Maybe that's what they're saying. Meh. I think in some ways, you know, it's important to remember that, you know, the Buddha's mother died from the birth. And he was brought up by his aunt, Mahapajapati, who we have a statue up there, the first woman to ordain. But to me, it's also really important to remember that the Buddha's life began with great loss. As many, actually many, many wonderful spiritual teachers have lost parents at a very young age. So he was born, because of his birth, his mother died. And his father wanted what he wanted. He wanted him to become like him. So I think in some ways, if you think about you know, life itself and what the Buddha had, was set up with great grief from an early age, I also imagine that the king's grief, his father's grief, of his partner dying, which is usually a very complex situation. That the child who brought about the death of their partner. So 
I always love to really feel into like that's also part of the Buddha's life is the very beginning and how the the Buddha's father also wanted him to be a certain thing. And maybe some of you grew up with your parents wanting you to be a certain thing. And maybe they still do. Whether they're dead or alive, it doesn't matter. Often this haunts most of us. So to me, the opportunity is to the practice, like pouring the tea over the Buddha, is like, how do you make it fresh and new? How do you make your awakening fresh and new right now? Not how you think it's supposed to be, not how you want it to be, but how it is. What is the vow you can incorporate into your life to move more fully into practice life? Think about how you've been functioning and how can you shift that, even slightly, to support you so that you're giving more fully into what's fresh as opposed to your box of toys. Lovingly putting our habits down is a wonderful place of practice. Lovingly put them down. I'm so happy to be here with all of you. And soon, Choro Sensei will be back. May it be so. Slowly he's healing. Slowly we're all healing. And then we'll be dead. <laughs> so what we have is what we do with our time. And it's just so brief. It's so brief. So let's not miss it.